0: Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because they'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com.
1: If we, me, and you go fishing tomorrow, where's your favorite fishing spot?
0: Well, you can't say. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't tell you that Give one. Give me a general. <laughs> a lake. I, well, I'm going to go river. I'm going to go okay. b- uh, white river below Bull Shoals.
1: Okay, you're, and you're a fishing guru. Love it. I will tell you what, if we, if, if we play my game, I'll go fishing with you tomorrow and I'll beat you. But here's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. The deal is I get to cast all I want, and you only get to cast three times in eight hours. <laughs> now, you're going to say, well, how stupid is that, Brad yeah. Harris? <laughs> yep. Well, how stupid do you feel We'll go sit in a tree stand 12 hours and never make a cast It's like sitting in a boat 12 hours And never making a cast
2: You're listening to the Ozark Podcast Presented by Inland We sit down with men and women From the Ozarks That have a passion for the outdoors Our aim is to listen, learn And pass along their knowledge and experiences To help you become a better outdoorsman Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle V. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle V on the mic as always, and I am joined today by co-host of the show
0: and my good buddy, Kyle Plunkett. How are you? Man, I am really good. I've been uh, shooting my bow in a new morale target that my wife got me for my birthday. Oh, yeah? Getting excited about deer season. Even though it's too many months away. We're a long way away. It is in my head as yeah. of now. It's we're we're getting there. I didn't know you were breaking out the bow already. I you you make me feel bad. I
2: haven't started doing that yet. And now I know you're get you're trying to get ahead of me. Yeah, my goal is to out hunt you again. Yeah. So. Again. I don't <laughs> again. know about this last year. I don't know. I mean I definitely I, I took my fish. I took a one buck. That was my first buck with the bow. There we go. Um and I got a doe. I had a good I had a good season. Yeah, but did you get a bear? I didn't get a bear. just playing. Didn't get a bear. (laughs) That's true. That was a, that was an awesome start to the season. Um, and then after that, you kind of got busy. You got tied up with, with your daughter and Mm -hmm. you didn't do a whole lot of hunting after that. This year will be different. We'll get some good time in the woods. Yeah, absolutely. And we are sitting here, um, for anyone who's, who's watching the video, we are sitting here in Neosha, Missouri with our special guest of the episode, uh, Mr. Brad Harris out of Neosha, Missouri. Um, (laughs) Brad has done a lot of things in his career. Um, he's been a hunting guide. He's worked for uh, Realtree as a pro staff member. Um, and, and one of the more significant things, he's done a lot, but one of the more significant things that really piqued our interest of why we, we wanted to come up here was he's actually the inventor of the butt grunt. So any deer hunter, if you've ever used a butt grunt, this is the guy that you can credit with that invention um so brad thank you for having us up here thank you for inviting us to your shop right now kyle do you want to set the stage like what where are we at what are we sitting around
0: uh for sure i was gonna i was gonna say if you you need to get a look just to where we're at Uh, go look on the patreon look at the youtube page whatever whatever dan producer dan does to to get this out but we're sitting in how big is this place brad
1: Oh, it's
0: thirty by thirty, I think. A thirty by thirty outhouse or shed, yeah, an outhouse. But it's a metal building, man metal cave, root, man cave, you might say. And there, there are more, there are more uh, inches of antler <laughs> on the wall than I ever hoped to see in my entire life. It's insane, um, insane. I'm looking. I mean, these are
2: some of the biggest animals I've ever seen. Uh, Got elk, deer, yeah, turkeys, foxes. Furs. All kinds of stuff. So, on the wall. Awesome place. Again, just thanks for having us up here, and welcome to the
1: podcast. How are Thank you? Thank you. I am great. I'm mean, glad you guys are here. Uh, I appreciate you coming and showing some of the stuff that I've done here and some of the animals I've chased over the years, and I've been very blessed, so I, pre- um, I enjoy sharing it with you all.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, <laughs> it's It's a privilege for us to come up here and get to talk with you, hear your story. That's why we're here. We want to hear your story. That's a lot of what we do. Is just we sit down with people, we talk with them, let them just talk about their life, and uh, we try to ask questions and learn. So that's what we, what we want to do with you. Um, but before we get into that, uh, what what have you been up to? I know you've you've just got back from several trips um, up north and west, and um, you know you're still you're still chasing turkeys right now. Uh, what what have you been doing the last couple of weeks? Because I know we talked a couple of weeks ago and. We weren't able to get together until you got back from all these trips.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember talking with you. Like, yeah, I'd be happy to do the podcast, but hey, it's turkey season. Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, and I've you know, I've got grandkids that love to hunt turkey, and I love taking them. So that's where I've been the last couple of weeks. We made a little trip out west, and uh, we filled our Missouri tags, and then decided we need to go go out west. And then uh, my oldest grandson he, uh, he's been out there with me several times and, but he certainly loves to go. And then I took one of my younger grandsons who's never got to hunt the Western bird, the Merriams. And he, he had a ball and killed a, uh, a nice Merriams out there, went to South Dakota in the Black Hills. Then we went over into Wyoming, hunted the Black Hills. So we've been kind of uh, making a tour. I came back through and hunted Kansas with a, a high school friend I hadn't seen in many years yeah. and called him in a bird. And, uh, he killed it and then uh, I had to come back and I still got my Kansas tag. So I'm going to head back to Kansas the next day or two and see if I can't fill that tag.
2: There you go. There you go. That sounds like a good plan. Oh, you bet. So, how many in the last, <clears throat> let's say, how, how many weeks were you out hunting, making those rounds?
1: Well, actually, we started in Missouri. I waited till Missouri season opened. We hunted Missouri and then we spent uh, uh, hunted two weeks in Missouri with uh, myself and grandkids and a, and a couple of. We call it the He-Man Woman Haters Club. With a couple of old guys that I go to church with. <laughs> yeah. We uh, we went camping up on Truman Lake, and uh, uh, they you know, they're like me. They're getting up in age. One of them, matter of fact, has had a leg amputated a year ago. Oh, okay. And we wanted to get him out, and uh, we got him in a blind every day. We never got him a bird, but we we certainly got to enjoy the hunt. Yeah. Uh, from that point, we went on out, took the grandkids out west, and done that hunt. So I'm down to about few days here to hunt Kansas a little bit on my own and see if I can't find one so I've been at it uh, since opening of Missouri season yeah. so
2: man that's pretty good yeah. and it sounds like you've taken quite a few
1: yeah we've had we've had good luck even though it's been every day's been a challenge I mean they they sure, certainly haven't been easy and we haven't really you know you always get the kamikaze bird or the bird that wants to commit suicide And I haven't <laughs> been able to find that one this you're year you're not finding that one yeah everything we've had to work worked real hard for and and put a lot of effort into it the numbers are down it's not good yeah it's not good
2: yeah that's what um we went out a couple times i went out a couple times uh, where we're at down in arkansas and the first weekend that i went out you know it's a short season down there i don't know if you hunt in arkansas much i haven't
1: for years but i used to hunt a lot yeah.
2: yeah and now it's a short season you know you get one bird you get one tom um that's your limit and it was tough. It was hard work. I, you know, I heard a couple of birds gobbling off, but I, I just couldn't close the deal. I couldn't get him to come in, and um, part of that's probably on me. Part of that's just they were they were picky. They weren't sure. they weren't coming.
1: Well, yeah. you don't have the numbers. You don't have the young bird, the two year olds, uh, that drive. These older birds make make older birds gobble, put pressure on them, uh, create havoc in the woods. You don't have that. You know, you're dealing with an older age structure. Uh, Mm-hmm. population right now and mm-hmm. those old birds are tough they, they didn't get old by being dumb and they're the ones that have what available hens are there they'll have them and uh, so everything we dealt with for the most part was hinned up and you just had to work and work and work get positioned um, the calls worked great on some but most of the time it was really good position um, patience right. this year is what paid off you know and uh, but that's turkey hunting you know it wasn't like the 80s and 90s when heck you mm-hmm you messed up on this gobbler, you just went over the hill and got on another one, yeah. then another one, another one. That was the the easy part of turkey hunting having that mm-hmm. many birds to go to. You didn't have that this year. You had to kind of stick with what you you were dealt and uh, so you had to hunt a little harder, a little smarter to make things happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was it, I definitely can see that. Um yeah. it's it's tough. I mean, when you have a target rich environment, it's it's easy to learn and it's you know, you just have so much more exposure and you get that like you said you're talking about turkey's creating that havoc and kind of making that movement happen and birds coming to you they're just more willing to do that and so it was tough
1: yeah but fun still fun still fun absolutely there's no such
2: thing as a kamikaze bird in arkansas (laughs) they just don't exist no they don't they don't um well i'm glad that you're back i'm glad that we're able to to get get together and do this um let's talk about uh, we'll, we'll get into um you know the story of of how you invented the buck grunt and stuff like that but before we jump into that um, maybe if you could just give a little background, kind of where you grew up, your life story, early influences. What got you into hunting and the outdoor uh, industry?
1: Well, I grew up in southeast Missouri, a little town called Deloge. And uh, uh, hunting was just part of our family life. You know, my uncles, my grandfather, my dad, my older brothers. That's just what we did. It was just, I never, I never knew a time in my life that hunting wasn't a big part of the entire family. Um, and so, you know, it just came natural to me. And I had a lot of good teachers. And uh, I really got interested in it at a very young age. I was probably eight, nine years old whenever I'd spend uh, Sunday afternoons after church. We'd always go out to my grandfather's house <laughs> and visit and have dinner uh, about every Sunday. And uh, grandpa was quite a hunter. And he, of course, he was up in years and had... Had not hunted for many years, when I had started, you know, quizzing him about it, right? And questioning him about it, and getting the information. And uh, so Sunday afternoons, I spent set listening to Grandpa tell hunting stories. And his hunting stories were deer or deer, uh, rabbit, squirrel, small game. That, that was primarily all Grandpa ever hunted because that's all they had. They, the deer numbers were slim. The turkeys were almost non-existent. Uh, when my grandfather and my dad grew up, and uh, so small game was their big deal, and quail, upland birds, some. But uh, uh, but Grandpa really built a fire in me. One day he was talking about squirrels, and he talking about uh, calling squirrels, yeah. making them making them present themselves. And I'm thinking, wow, I need this. Yeah. I need to get a squirrel come looking for me. Yeah. And Grandpa took an old. He had an old bolt, and he had a piece of a cedar flat cedar uh, striker, and he would strike that cedar on that on the the threads on that bolt, and okay. it would simulate the bark of a squirrel. Really, and he would tell me. He said, "Now, Brad," he said. When you're hunting, them, I and he said, that squirrel goes in a nest or he goes in a hole. He said, just sit down and be quiet. Just be quiet 15, 20 minutes. Don't make a sound. Don't make a move. He said, then get this little call out. He said, just tap on it a few times. He said, it'll get their curiosity up and they'll come looking. And he was right. I mean, it would be squirrels going in a hole. I'd sit down and wait, do what Grandpa told me. I'd bark a little bit. Wouldn't be long. They'd poke their head out and I'd shoot them. <laughs> oh, my and, God. Uh, I thought, wow, this is cool. And
2: you're Um, eight, nine years old? Yeah, nine, ten years old. And
1: and, uh, dad Dad and mom would always allow us to go hunting. Once we learned and dad trained us in safe firearm safety, they were glad, uh, more than happy for us to go to the woods or go to the creek versus go to town. Okay. So they encouraged us to spend time in the outdoors. It kept us out of trouble. And... uh, uh, and we loved it. So, yeah, at a very young age, we were out chasing small game and, and with mom and dad's blessing. And uh, being raised, there was nine kids in my family, all nine of us are still alive. I'm number seven. All right. Uh, I've got four older or three older brothers and uh, three older sisters. Um, my older brothers all hunted. And I so I had them to follow around and yeah. learn from them. And it, it became a competition almost. Sure. I mean, you wanted to outdo your brother, and <laughs> yeah. I wanted to make sure I killed more squirrels or as many as they did or uh, whatever that may be. It created some competition, and and that wasn't all bad. I mean, we uh, we loved what we did, but we we went to uh, we went to kill stuff. You know, uh, I hear a lot of people talking about well, I just hunt for the fun of it. That's not the way I was raised. We hunted to yeah. go kill something, right? And it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a badge of honor to fill your tags or get your limit, whatever you were after that day. That meant you put the effort in, and mm. you did. And when you come home and you were shy of your limit, um, you you didn't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to learn from that, and so that was a that was a big driving force of me becoming very competitive when it came to hunting with my older brothers. Uh, and like I said, it wasn't a bad thing because it allowed me to go on and make a living in the hunting industry because of that competitive edge right, that they had that built in me. Uh, we even took it so far with 22s and squirrels, you kill six squirrels at your limit. It wouldn't have me, you know, how many if you killed your six, they all had to be headshot. Oh. So there was no shooting a squirrel yeah. in the body. You're getting specific ruining You you were getting specific. And so you not only killed your six squirrel, but you kill you had six headshots. So you had to be patient mm-hmm. to get that headshot. You know, you could just see a squirrel blasted out of a tree, great. But not not in our world. You had to wait till you got a good view of that head mm-hmm. so you could shoot him in the head. So you come back, say, I've got six, they're all six headshot. Well, I got six, but only five are headshots. Right. You know, uh, uh, you lose. You lose, <laughs> and uh, and uh, again, it, it just it made made you learn patience. Uh, made you learn to pick your targets well. Um, made you, you know, it made you become a better hunter. Mm-hmm. You you had to learn uh, a lot of the uh, little things that gave you those headshots,
2: right? You know? So, and that too, uh, I even think at a, at a young age, you're. It's not just the marksmanship of getting a headshot, but you're learning about like okay processing the meat yeah if we're going to eat this i don't want to put pellets or a, a bullet right through the, the heart of the meat where yeah. all that good stuff is
1: see i i agree with that 100 percent. but then i went to a to a guy's house one weekend and we went squirrel hunting i come back with six squirrels shot in the head and he reamed me out and oh, his deal was he loved the brains oh. you don't shoot squirrels in the head because they ate squirrel brains oh yeah we didn't eat squirrel brains. Yeah. When we, grew up. we ate squirrel meat, but I ate brains with him that day, and they were good. Yeah, and I realized that he wasn't kidding. I mean, He's that was his soon. delicacy, and headshots were not part of that of, <laughs> of his his harvest. You know, he wanted that head left alone, and yeah. so we weren't real good at that. We we were head hunters, and uh, uh, but there are there is reasons when you wouldn't want to head shoot him. But for me, I like skinning a squirrel and. If he's shot in the head, that meat from the neck back is untouched and absolutely awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Absolutely. I've never heard of eating squirrel brains. Really? Squirrel brains. How do you cook? <laughs> I've, I've heard, heard of that.
2: Either. You know, uh, one of our teachers uh, where we went to school used to do that. Um, eat squirrel brains? Or eat squirrel brains, yeah. yeah.
1: How do you cook them? They boil them. They boil them. They boiled the skull, and it was amazing because I— I grew up in a family ate everything we killed, yeah. and we never ate squirrel brains. I never even heard anybody talk about it. Yeah. And he would boil these squirrel skulls and take a huge metal spoon and crack them in the head, open that up, and, and eat the brains. Oh, my goodness. And uh, he got me to do it, it yeah. was very good. It was good? It was very good. All right. Absolutely. We're going to have to try that. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Might. You sound hesitant. A little bit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't blame you. But it sounds, it sounds like something we should at least try. At least. Oh, try sure. It
0: bring us back to our ozark heritage absolutely
2: absolutely um so yeah so you're at a young age you're you're spending time in the outdoors and is that kind of what what piqued your interest i mean tell me as you grew up and as you got a little bit more serious did you did you ever consider like a quote-unquote normal career getting a a desk job or anything like that or were you like nah that's not for me
1: you know to be very honest with you um with grandpa teaching me to call squirrels i mean i had such a passion for walleye and wild turkey was population was starting to grow and i got to realize man this calling thing you know i started with squirrels but i can see how this is going to help brad fill more tags right. by by mm. communicating with animals so that built a fire in me to learn the the vocabulary of the critters that i'm after um with wild turkey, this was you know this was back in the '70s. Wild turkeys popularly starting to grow by the late '70s, early '80s. We started seeing quite a few wild turkeys, and it's like, man, this is this is where I'm going, you know. So I took the calling that Grandpa taught me. He also taught me how to call turkeys. He built me a box call, a little two piece box call. Showed me how to call. Even though Grandpa never had the luxury of hunting turkeys like we hunt turkeys, I right. mean. They would be lucky to see a turkey or two in an entire year. That's how bad the population was. But Grandpa would always go out and fiddle with them, and he learned to call to them. And then he taught me. And, of course, the old days it was call three times, shut up and sit still for 45 minutes, third hour, and then call three more times. And that worked for me in the old days, but then... I realized in after hunting them that hey, I can get aggressive with these turkeys and make things happen and make them commit suicide, find those kamikaze birds. Mm-hmm. And by being more aggressive, which had been totally against how grandpa hunted them and how he taught me. But that that just fizzing with my dad, my dad would, took me on my first deer hunt. We never saw a deer that day um saw some fresh tracks and knew we were in good sign but never saw a deer which was common back then you hunted a lot of days to see a deer and uh, you know uh know, dad taught me patience setting and waiting this isn't a guaranteed thing guys today you know going out and seeing 40 50 deer of an evening is not unheard of right yeah back in the day when i started you might not see a deer the entire hunting season
2: why? Why is that? I mean, what has changed numbers, so much?
1: The numbers. There simply were no deer back in the '60s and '70s. How come? speak of?
2: Do you know why?
1: Uh, poor management. You know they were wiped out in the depression and in the you know the late 1800s. I mean, there was no no uh, conservation, no season, no limits. So it was just sheer overuse and abuse and no management. Hmm. Uh, when it became popular in the '40s, '30s, '40s, '50s, t- conservation uh became popular started getting support from the land from the people and uh, and all of a sudden they realized they can manage these critters and have a healthy population and the carrying capacity of the land you know wasn't wasn't anywhere near what it should be and great conservations brought that all upon us and uh, we have been blessed to be a part of that and see that i've been blessed to live it from the very slim days in the 60s to the the heydays of the nineties and the even early two thousands on wild Turkey is just incredible. And the white tail deer, same way. I mean, my gosh, look at the numbers we have today and the bag limits and mm-hmm. it's just great conservation. It's just, uh, it just took a while for it to catch hold. And, uh, uh, but that's the real reason behind it. And it changes your hunting tactics. I mean, I started out being very passive and, and doing what grandfather told me to do and set, long, long periods of time, call sparingly, not booger a turkey because it might be the only gobbler you get to work the entire season. Right. Whereas then I lived through the ages where, oh, my God, there's 20 turkeys gobbling right now, and I can get to any one of them. They're everywhere. And I don't have to stay on this one if you don't play my game. I'll go to the next one, or I'll go to that one. At 1130, I'll kill one over here. That's That was incredible, you know. Uh, that's why I really thought I was a good turkey hunter. but. Yeah. <laughs> So did a it lot of people. So, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, uh, you learn how good a turkey hunter you are when you have years like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, back in the heyday, it was just, you know, it was just, the numbers were strong. If you kept at it, you were going to kill one. Yeah. You know, that, that's how great it was. And, and I miss those days, but, uh, we're, we're kind of going down the backside of that now. But, uh. Uh, I learned a lot being able to transition through all those the great population growth and all that. I learned a lot by doing that, but that passion of calling uh, started with uh, with the squirrel. But then turkey really, the turkey calling really drove me to to pursuing a, a, um, making calling a part of my everyday hunt, no matter what I hunted. Okay. And uh, I spent a lot of time calling, and I had a lot of people tell me you need to calling some contests well contests back then were at the local pub and there'd be three guys calling and they'd ask for two two or three calls and and i said no i don't need to do that well you need to do that man i had guys friends i hunted with said you you call well you could you could win those well you know what'd you win a little plastic trophy a little plastic cup back then or a a a certificate or or maybe a drink at the bar (laughs) But you know, it kind of got well. Maybe I ought to go and just see if I enjoy. It. And I did. I went to some local contests. Had really good luck uh, calling in them, and it was, it was pretty easy. And uh, back in those days, was no competition to speak of. And, uh, um, were those mostly competitions
2: guys. with? Um, were you like mouth calling? Were you using like? Um tools and stuff a little like that. bit of
1: everything okay. use mouth calls uh my first mouth call i that i ever owned was built by a guy by the name of dean qualls <clears throat> dean has passed away many years ago but he was one of the best hunters i've ever was ever able to hunt with and get to know he was an old man when i was a young kid and he he was building mouth turkey calls with lead washers and he'd take uh, the condoms that he would buy it at the grocery really? and make them with lead washers, condom, and surgical tape. No. That was my first mouth call. I still got it here somewhere in this mess. No way. I got the, that call. That call's nearly 50 years old.
0: Using the latex or something? Like yeah, that's it's the
1: condom, late, you know, you get wow. it at the, at the gas station. That know, is right? commitment. And uh, he <laughs> mashed know. those lead washers straight, and it was like nobody was building calls. Yeah. I mean, and he was that innovative. Um, I don't know who invented the uh, mouth diaphragm, but I guarantee you he was one of the early guys Man. that made one. Yeah, and that call was stretched so tight, and that rubber was so thin, it was so high pitch. But turkeys loved it. I mean, it killed turkeys with it. So mm. went to a contest. I'd have the handmade mouth call. I'd have Grandpa's handmade box call, and and you might have a corn cob slate. You know, cor- a slate with a corn cob striker. Uh-huh. Uh, that's kind of where it began and of course it's grown a lot since then Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah.
2: absolutely it's changed a ton it's really changed i mean i think that a little bit speaks to just the ingenuity of of people learning to listen to what they're hearing in the woods especially here in the ozarks you have the ozarks have somewhat always been an isolated community in that there's not a whole lot of large population centers and so you're just doing with what you got. You're yeah. you're creating calls with what you have with lead washers and condom rubber. Yeah, that's just. I mean, it's impressive to think of the people and and how far calling has come from where it started in
1: our. It internet. really is, and it, what's what's even more impressive is um, when those tools, as crude as they were, worked, and that even built. I mean that even built more confidence in me as I went forward it's like man I I did it with these homemade things right. now you got this mass you know these mass produced precision produced calls that sounded even better even more like a wild turkey it's like wow, this is cool. This yeah. is this is getting right now. It Gives know? you some confidence in yeah. your tool. I'm sure it really like, does.
0: I, I, we have these things that are n- now near perfection. Absolutely, and that's you know that's for sure going to work if yeah. two washers and <laughs> some rubbers. That's right. Work, that's that's really right. cool. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, and it, it, you know those guys were all pioneers. I mean, and people you'll never hear of. Right. I mean, and lots of them from north to south, and especially a lot of the southern states. A lot of them old timers were building calls back when. Very few people were turkey hunting and knew anything about a wild turkey, but yet they were building calls and uh, whether they were duck hunting or whether they were goose hunting, they would, I seen some calls made out of reeds. Uh, They would cut those reeds in the swamp and they'd make the barrels and put, I've seen everything used for the reed material from plastic credit cards to where they'd cut them out and make something work. The neat part is is they realized that communicating with wildlife was a plus. You know, I'm a bad shooter, okay? I've been hunting with, with a bow all my life and, and guns, and I'm not a great shot by any means. Okay. I need my animals close.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: now, if I get them close, my confidence level goes way up sure. on where my arrow's going to go, where my bullet's going to go. And I always felt like if I can... Well, no matter what I was hunting, if I could make them commit, make them make a mistake, make them come look for me, make them get closer, that's more tags that I feel. Mm-hmm. And I learned that from a very early age that I communicate with wildlife and I can use their vocabulary to my advantage and to their disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, we've seen that skyrocket since the late 80s as well you know mm-hmm. people have jumped in and the videos and TV and all that have taught people uh you know how to how to do that and the guys that are <clears throat> the guys that are good woodsmen and the guys that are smart and realize that the calls a tool regardless of what they're calling it's a tool do all the other things right you know do you know have your you been shooting your your Talked about shooting your bow. You're confident, you're shooting your broadheads heads are sharp, your rifle sighted in, you're scent free, you got the wind right, whatever. What you do all that right, and then throw that call in, and it is a tool mm-hmm. that can finish the deal. Yeah, if you go to relying on your call, right, you're gonna screw up,
2: right? And that's, that's what happened
1: to a lot of guys.
2: It's not the end all be all, that's you, right. You got to do everything else, you got to right? do
1: everything else correct to make that call shine. Yeah, yeah, Basically. now there's days. You get the kamikaze turkey. Sure. Uh, you can literally deer. You can literally <laughs> pass gas through a straw on some turkeys and kill them, and that's good. I like finding those turkeys once in a while, and, and that happens. But if you're consistent, year after year, place after place, state after state, you got to have more. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to be the complete hunter. Then use that cause as a tool, and you mm-hmm. you'll be successful.
2: Yeah. So then, what at what point did you start? Let's get into the to the good stuff. When when did you start realizing that hey, maybe I can call deer?
1: That's interesting because growing up, uh, grandpa and dad told me deer never they only made one sound and it was a snort. Sure. And you stayed away from that at all costs. <laughs> yeah.
2: You don't want to make I that noise. I learned that at, at that a very
1: <laughs> early age. And believe it or not, we can come back to that, but you you do want to make that noise. Sometimes okay. there's a reason to use it. There's more than one snort, and the only thing the old timers knew was when the deer snorted, they were running right. and leaving. And so they, in their mind, that's a call you don't want to touch. Yeah, and you don't want to hear deer snort in the woods. Um, and some truth to that, but not all, not always. But um, I actually was I had in 1976 I was working in an open pit mine. I had just gotten married. I had left the company. Uh, we, we concrete cement finishers, a company, a family business. I'd left that because I needed some benefits, had child on the way. So I worked in this open pit mine, which is one of the better paying jobs back then at the time. And, uh, the neat part about it is most of those guys that worked there and there may have been 70 or 80 other men there. Uh, I was just a boy. Um, they all, most of them hunted or fish, you know, most of them were outdoors, all farmers and, you know, just good old boys. So during our break times and our lunch breaks, we would visit. About what we'd doing, where where we'd been, where we'd hunted, where we fish, where we that was the stories that went around with our group, and uh, for the most part, and some of them were really good hunters. Some of them are really good hunters. And where uh, are you at? This is I was in, uh, in Missouri, in Missouri, southeast Missouri, around okay. Deloge, I think uh, Bonterre area. Um, two or three of those guys I became real good friends with, started hunting with a lot. Uh, very knowledgeable for guys back in the 70s, in my opinion. I learned a lot from him. I think they learned a little from me, especially about the calling side. Um, but one of them came in one day, and he said, hey, Brad, uh, my brother Jim heard this noise, and he said a, a buck made it, of like a four-point, standing right under him. He said he saw him do this. He watched him do this. I said, what'd he do? And he said, he went, eh, and pinched his nose, made a little grunt, yeah. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, Jim said he's seen him do it. He heard him do it. He said, when he did it, another buck came in, come walking right up. I said, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. So he proceeds to teach me how to pinch my nose and grunt, which I can't do much anymore. But back then, I've worked at it so I could learn it. I was grunting deer before I ever heard a deer grunt. I never heard the term grunt by any other hunter uh at that point in time you never saw an article you never saw it was non-existent deer didn't grunt yeah
2: okay you're just going off of what your buddy I'm jim know said my buddy said yeah
1: yeah and the following weekend i was at a little place called mingo swamps in southeast missouri it's down at duck creek and mingo was a waterfowl area it's a nothing but a swamp but it was uh, bow hunting only. Okay. And we would go down, had some good bucks in there. You had to hunt in the water, but you, you had good bucks. And I was down there, and, and of course, this was before I was hunting bucks, I was hunting deer, okay? okay. Anything with Anything. hair on it. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, if it had a little bone sticking out of its head, that was a bonus, you know? So, <laughs> but I'll never forget, I got up in that tree, I was hunting with the old Baker climbing tree stands, which I loved, I love to this day. And you could, hunt, you could climb the cypress trees for 30 feet before you found a limb. It was just incredible. Yeah. And I looked up, and here come a little six-point buck. And I'm talking little. And he's traveling. He's 80 yards out, and he's walking, a dead walk in that swamp water, making noise, but he's going somewhere. And my first thought was, Buck, wow, it's a big buck. Well, it's like this. Uh, I wanted to kill that buck bad, and he's traveling. There's no way I'm not that good a shot. He's way too far. He's he's on a mission. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Grunt. Why not? I pinched my nose, eh, grunted, and he stopped. Whoa. Now what do I do? He stopped. What do I do? Fortunately, I'm... Fairly aggressive. So I just grunted again. As soon as he stopped and looked my way, I grunted again. That deer walked 20 yards, turned broadside. I shot under him six inches. <laughs> I never touched a hair and he ran off, but it was one of the greatest hunts I ever had in my life. Wow.
2: Yeah.
1: It dawned on me that I just came up with something that is going to make me a deer killing machine. And it did. I perfected the grunt of my voice. I grunted at every deer that was not in bow range, which was a lot. Yeah. And I was turning deer and making them come to me with my voice and killing them. Wow. And my buddy John and Jim were doing the same thing at the same time, and they were having the same success I was having. We're doing with our voice. And I think we're the only three people in this God's green earth that knew deer grunted
2: that's
1: amazing it was incredible and i owe it all to john and jim sure. they taught me yeah they um uh, i mean they, they just they were one type of guys that they just picked up on stuff in the woods great hunters great co- killed their limb of squirrels like we did i mean they took it They killed the turkeys they were just good woodsmen yeah. and they learned and and they weren't afraid to try things and i'm the same way well, that stuff all just fell into place for me. I mean, I'm already turkey calling now. I'm calling in contests. I'm killing turkeys around the state and uh, uh, very good success rate of calling them in. And then all of a sudden, the deer thing just like, wow, yeah, this is, this is above and beyond. And, you know, 1976, I took my first elk hunt and I had my first encounter with bugling at bull elk. And it just came in the mid-70s, just came to me, communicate, call. You know, confuse, right. misdirect, mm. entice—it all falls together. And uh, from that point on, it was just—it was just Katie bar the door. I was killing deer, grunting in deer, and well, we weren't telling nobody.
2: I was going to ask at this point, are you like, oh, my gosh, I have this amazing secret I have to tell everyone? Or were you, you were keeping it in?
1: We, back in the old, you never told anybody anything. Okay. You know, you just very close-knit group. And so there was just a handful of us who knew anything about it Mm -hmm. for for several years, actually, four or five years. Uh, That only came about... From a turkey calling contest, I entered. I actually traveled. It was funny. I've got pictures of it. i got my Vietnam camouflage on, and and I'm headed to Kansas City, which I'm not a city boy, and that's all the way across the state. Yeah. Four-and-a-half-hour drive going to Kansas City and calling a Mid-America Open. That's the biggest contest I ever heard of. And uh, I'm going, you know. So uh, my wife, she went with me, and we— we drove out, it's just hilarious. Here's this, I had long hair and beard,
2: yeah.
1: Vietnam camo on, yeah. blue jeans, and here I am with the some of these guys that came from out of state and uh, guys I'd heard about, didn't know. Uh, then your typical Missouri boys, Ray I was there. I mean, everybody knew Ray I, and, and he was there, and uh, Kenny Mounts, some of these guys that maybe are not national names, but we knew them from the old days in the old calling circuit, right. and they were very good. Um these guys were there, but this was a big show for me. You know, this is my first time on a, a really big stage. And uh, I think I got second in the turkey calling that day, and I won the owl hooting. And uh, felt pretty good about myself. And owl hooting something I learned to do with right. my voice. I built, the, I made the very first instruction owl hooting cassette. Oh, did I you, taught man? people how to owl hoot with their voice. It was, uh, I made that cassette in the late 70s, and it was just simply owl hooting and turkey locating. And I taught people the word method to owl hoot. You and still,
2: was, do you still have a pretty good owl hoot? Oh, it comes and goes. Kind of there's
1: eye. days that it's sweet, yeah. and days that, oh dear Lord, that's scary.
2: You know? so, <laughs> what was it? Uh, my kinda, voice. I don't want to hear
1: this. it. Some days it's good, some days it's bad. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. It's, it's it's not like it used to be. <laughs> okay, awesome. the old days we worked at it, and today, uh, older I get, I can't grunt with my voice anymore. Mm. I my owl hooting is about fifty percent. There's days I will hoot. It's like I go grab a hooter, you know, because that that's awful. Yeah, and even though turkeys don't care,
2: sure
1: they don't care at all. I care. I, you know, it didn't sound good. I'm hoarse. Thing. I'm gonna grab a Hooter, and it sounds better. And it's carrying farther. It still now, those days, I got it fifty you
0: percent know? better than I can do. So <laughs> oh, It's a fifty percent, but it's. it's, it's but yeah, you, know, you, than I you can learn
1: it, and again, I perfect, perfected perfected that. Ray I was another one in the early days. It was awesome at owl hooting, and I learned a lot from him. Uh, guys like that perfected it because they knew how deadly it was, and mm-hmm. the better you were, mm-hmm. the louder you were, the more turkeys gobbled, and the more you killed. Yeah. It was just simple math. Yeah. And you could take the little they come out with these little plastic hooters and stuff, and for guys that couldn't hoot, okay, yeah. I'll give it to you. But in the world of trying to compete against the Ray Eye or Brad Harris and their voice, it you it it wouldn't even compare. Yeah. I mean, I I was making turkeys <laughs> gobble two miles away. No way. And a little plastic hooter, you'd be lucky if you get one to gobble at a hundred yards. Yeah. Wow. They just didn't have the volume, you know. But but they did work, you know. Um nowadays you got Better owl hooters, but still, I have yet to see an owl hooter on the market that can c- compete with a really good voice hooter that's got some volume. Yeah. I mean, he can make the woods ring for miles that's and it makes turkeys gobble. And yeah. that's uh, you just okay there, there, and there, okay, and move again, hoot again. And so we, we did that, yeah, for kind of fun and entertainment, but for most of us old oh, guys, it was for real, it was for a reason. That, that we that's tried a to get better. Edge, yeah.
2: Coming out again yeah. from your childhood Absolutely. with two brothers.
1: Well, you never, you wanted to, you wanted to fill your turkey tags. And if I was, the more turkeys I could locate, the more I could go hunt because of locating with a good owl hooter and my voice, the more I killed. The better I got at grunting deer, the more confidence I got at grunting to deer, uh, the more I learned about them, when, why, and what fors. Uh, the more deer I killed. And some of these deer I, on the wall, the only reason I killed them, they came to a grunt. Mm. And uh, there's deer in here on the wall that I didn't even... I knew I was hunting big deer because of the sign. Right. This was before trail cameras and all that. Now you can got pictures of them. But even before that, I knew I was on good deer by the sign I was hunting. But it didn't mean you seen them, you know. And growing up in the Ozark, you boys know what I'm talking about. You just don't see deer half a mile away. No, you don't. Um, so... You had to hunt sign, and uh, even hunting sign didn't mean you know you were in the you were in the game. It didn't mean you're gonna close the deal. That grunt call by reaching out, calling the deer I could see that weren't gonna give me a shot, calling blind, which I I'm a big advocate of, and most people aren't. Mm-hmm. I killed so many deer calling blind, ain't even funny. Right. Uh, the better I got, the more I understood. The more deer I killed, and the more deer I called, um, you know. Sadly, there's so much misinformation that goes mm-hmm. along with calling. Yeah. Uh, you read articles, and 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 I'm not saying people lie by any means, but they just don't tell the whole truth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, for instance, talking about that first deer I grunted in. He he's walking. He's 80 yards. He stops and looks at me. Well, if you read most articles, especially articles back in the 80s and 90s. And even in the 2000s about grunting deer, if they stop, look your way, don't call. If they're looking at you, don't call. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. So many people lose deer because of that. Because they get them to stop, and the deer heard something and looks, they're told not to call. That's crazy. So that
2: deer just keep walking?
1: That deer just, he, well, I thought I heard something. Yeah. Oh, you're not talking to me? Okay, I'm, I got plans.
2: Yeah, I got something mm. to do.
1: That happens all the time. You can't, and you know, I, and I still have people to this day. that' ah, oh, oh, if they're looking at me, I won't call. You know, or you call more on one morning of turkey hunting than I call the whole season. I've had, I've been told that many times.
2: Just saying, you're too aggressive. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's like yes, and I love it.
2: <laughs> and and I kill I, a lot I of kill and more birds. Than I kill you. turkeys,
1: <laughs> and my goal is to make a turkey gobble fifty times before I pull the trigger. Wow. If I can, yeah. It don't always happen that way, yeah. but that's my hunt. If I can make that happen, that is my dream turkey hunt. <laughs> Coming to me. It don't get any better now. Yeah, that's you know? awesome. And if I can stop a big buck, out there turn, he throws his head up, and I can say, yes, I'm talking to you. Right. Come here. It's, a, it's simple. Yeah. It, it's common sense. So cool. Brad, I
0: don't know if this means we, we come back closer to hunting season and just go in depth into some calling packets <laughs> or if we talk off mic with the call someday. Yeah. But I would love like a 10 minute crash course. Oh man, we got you. Yeah, we're coming back. Because I sure. feel like I'm, I'm in the tree and you're you know, talking about confidence in your calling and all of that. I feel like I have the right tools, but the whole time when it comes to calling specifically, I'm going, sure. I have no idea if this is right. Yeah. Right. And I'm, doing, I'm right? doing my best guess. I've I've heard my granddad and dad do it. I've watched the YouTube videos. I've seen what, what, you know, what you're saying, the articles or some of the videos may be saying is the right thing. But I have no idea what's actually tried and and tested from somebody who has the animals on the wall to prove it, right? right? You know, I could be listening to anybody who's like, this is what you do. And for a guy not knowing much about what he's doing is thinking, sure, that sounds good. (laughs) It's better than what I'm doing. Specific to the Ozarks. And specific to the Ozarks. Yeah, because that's a different game. What's
1: really interesting is, like I said earlier, you don't have to be a great caller. You have to be confident,
0: caller. And that's what I need. And
1: you have to you have to think scenarios in your mind. Mm-hmm. Another one, you're sitting in the Ozarks, the wind blowing 20 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another one you read about is don't call loud. Don't grunt loud. Oh dear, don't grunt loud. Don't grunt loud. Well, what's the use of having a grunt call in your hand? And you go, eh. <laughs> And it's wind blowing 20 25 miles an hour.
2: Yeah, it's like a drop you, in the ocean. What a, that's it. Yeah.
1: It's common sense. People say, well, how loud do you call? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll know when I get to the tree and I see what I'm dealing with. Depends on the day. The wind, the humidity, the openness, the foliage, it's all common sense. Mm-hmm. You think about it and you react to it. Yeah. And you. I learned this. I went to Kansas the first time they opened whitetail for non-resident. I drew a Kansas tag or bought a Kansas tag. I don't think you had to draw. And I went out there, and it was hunting linear habitat on the creeks. Well, linear habitat means there's a little row of trees down one side of the creek and a little row on the other side, and you get up in a tree, and you can see a mile out this way, and you can see a mile out that way. Farmland. Yeah, prairies. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with my little grunt call from the Ozarks. And I look out there and there's a buck chasing a doe a half a mile away. And another buck appears and he's standing over him, And they're just, and I got my little Ozark grunt call. And, eh, they cannot hear me. I could have blew it a million times. They cannot hear me. Mm-hmm. I'm watching them. They are not throwing their head up. They're not hearing me. Mm-hmm. I immediately knew that I'm missing the boat, not only here today in this spot, but how many deer have I let get by me in the Ozarks because they cannot hear my call? Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, "Brad, you're a dummy. You're not calling near loud enough or aggressive enough at home. You're let. It's obvious these deer obviously can't hear me, yeah. and they're half a mile. Yeah. That probably in the Ozarks with the." terrain the wind the foliage that's probably 400 yards yeah Mm -hmm. that they're not hearing me i immediately built a louder grunt call i built one out of a plastic funnel Mm -hmm. so it would go back yeah (laughs) and at a half a mile they were hearing "Eh!" and they'd throw their head up and look and And that was like i have video of deer running to me from well over a half a mile i even say some may come a mile away from in the prairie, running into that grunt. Dang. So common sense tells you what are you missing in the woods? The book will tell you you're grunting too you're calling too loud. yeah the expert will tell you you call too loud. The expert isn't thinking about conditions mm-hmm. and terrain and that's the problem. It's not rocket science it's common sense. you you're, you're you're in the woods. Get with it. Be a woodsman. Mm-hmm. Understand it. Think about all those little scenarios. Well, I'm grunting, but I know that ain't carrying yeah. fifty yards, and I can see thirty five yards. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to pick it up a notch because mm-hmm. now you get those calm days and things really carry. You don't have to go so crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. But I have found that. Volume is, is real critical. Yeah. Real critical.
2: I feel like a lot of people, they'll they'll read something and then they will attach their whole strategy to that one thing that they yeah. read and they don't take it to the next level to think you're being the woodsman, considering the factors, thinking common sense, thinking through what they know or what they've learned or observed. Mm-hmm. And if someone tells you, always call quiet and that's what you, you stick your hat on, what about on those super windy days when you've got to switch it up and change change your strategy?
1: Yeah. They, they just... They're missing the boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I tell people, uh, you call them blind, for instance. Sure. Getting up and stand, how long do you sit in a tree stand? Long Four time. hours, Four. eight hours, yeah. 12 hours yeah. a day. Some days I hunt all day, daylight till dark, especially when the bucks are starting to get a little ruddy. Right. Mm-hmm. And you got to throw that rut in here because that rut, whether it's pre, you know, peak, post, you add the rut phase to the call and it even gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've grown a deer in, in April. Grunted bucks to me in April while I'm turkey hunting. Have wow. them walk right to me. Little gross about mm-hmm. this. They grunt year round. Mm-hmm. You had the rut phase where you have activity and big bucks on their feet. All of a sudden, that grunt call mm-hmm. even becomes more. Just handy. a lot more. But it's a year round call. I don't go in the woods without a grunt call. I don't care for September first or January fifteenth. Oh, you calls keep it on year round. Year round, just every day. just
2: to just to communicate or it's, scouting or it's what? it's
1: like this. If you like to fish? Love to Love fish. Okay, if we, me and you, go fishing tomorrow, where's your favorite fishing spot?
0: Well, you can't say. Okay, <laughs> I wouldn't tell you that one. Give
1: me a general, <laughs> a lake.
0: I, well, I'm going to go river. I'm going to go okay. b- uh, White River below Bull Shoals.
1: Okay, you're and you're a fishing guru. Love it. I will tell you what. If we if if we play my game, I'll go fishing with you tomorrow and I'll beat you. But here's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. The deal is, I get to cast all I want. And you only get to cast three times in eight hours. Mm. <laughs> now you're gonna say, Well, how stupid is that, Brad yeah. Harris? Yeah. Well, how stupid it. do you feel will go sit in a tree stand twelve hours and never make a cast? It's like sitting in a boat twelve hours and never making a cast. Yeah. Okay. If I'm in a tree stand my mind here and you got <laughs> you and you know you're in deer, you wouldn't be hunting there. Uh-huh. I mean, at least I hope. Uh, hopefully you not. You wouldn't be hunting there. Sure. But, you know, you got deer around, and you're sitting in your little blind, or you're up in your tree stand, and you're that 12-hour-a-day guy. or Maybe you're just three hours in the morning, three in the evening, six hours a day, whatever, and you don't make a cast. How absurd. Yeah. How absurd.
2: When you put it that way, it sounds crazy. It's but... <laughs>
1: crazy. It's like going out in the boat with your favorite lure and say, okay, I'm tired today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast at 1 o'clock, and then I'll make another cast. You ain't going to catch many fish, mm-hmm. okay?
0: Yeah. Well, I think yeah. some of the things that, that drives that fear, and it, it may be you're reading information about pressured deer and all that kind of stuff, sure. that's fair, but uh, it's it's the, you don't want to get them figuring out that it's you, or you don't want to tie that to a human and all of that. And then, you know, you're talking, hunt your terrain, use common sense, all of that. I, I was even, as you were telling your story a little bit, thinking, I don't know how many bucks are around walking around like... Co- like actually cognizantly thinking of that's a human in that tree making that noise. Like, this, I mean, you're not going to, you're not, not going to tip the deer off yeah. to what's actually happening. It, it, you
1: know, fish way. are the same way. I mean, they're <laughs> yeah, not laying in the water. Going, ah, that's a, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's, a, a, that's yeah, a lure. That's a lure. <laughs> I can't have that. <laughs> uh, unless they probably just got hooked. That probably ain't yeah. even ain't no, registering. Giving them there's too much There's days credit. that they don't want to bite <clears throat> and there's days deer don't want to come. Sure. Mm-hmm. But you still make the cast. Yeah. And so I'm in a tree stand. Why I carry a call with me from September to January is when I'm sitting in a tree and I I don't look at my watch. I don't I hunt by the seat of my pants. Okay. If I hear a squirrel bark and I can't see what's making that squirrel bark, I blow a call.
2: Mm.
1: Squirrels bark at buck deer, squirrels bark at gobblers, squirrels bark at hawks and owls and coyotes and everything else, but they do bark at buck deer. Mm. I Many, many times squirrels have let me know deer coming. Many, many times have I grunted to a squirrel and had a buck show up.
2: That's so cool.
1: You you stand, and if you're not paying attention, you're not hearing that squirrel bark. Mm -hmm. It's not getting your, when I hear a squirrel bark, I'm going, what's he barking
2: at? Mm -hmm.
1: What's he barking at? Because they don't bark for nothing. Right. Crow calls. If I'm turkey hunting, I slam on the brakes immediately when I hear a crow he'll make a turkey gobble. But I also have watched turkeys harass gobblers and just dive bomb them and call at them and set a up on a limb and fuss at them. Wow, okay. Well, I hear a crow call. A crow yell out, he might be fussing at a deer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are. Mm. It's amazing that those other animals will alert you to something going on. It isn't always deer by any means, right. but it's worth it take a note of and if you can't see what made that squirrel or that crow chatter blow that call all you're doing is throwing out a sound saying hey come here i'm a deer come here Mm -hmm. come here you've made a cast
2: Mm -hmm. right and on and on top of that too even how many times you you hear a noise behind you and you don't know what it is but you turn and then you see it's a squirrel but then at that point you let your guard down and you start moving again and you don't you don't even consider that Oh, well, it could be moving or barking at a deer, or a buck coming in, and you've already you've let your guard down. Now you haven't called. You now you're moving, and you've just done everything wrong.
1: That's right. And you messed it up. That, that's probably your biggest problem with blind calling and not you know when you can't see the deer. Uh, blind calling, what gets most people in trouble? They forget they made a cast. They forget they've made an invitation. Within two minutes after blowing the grunt. And they're going, that Brad Harris is an idiot. There ain't nothing going to come. He's an idiot. Where's my peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And you start ratting around, and the buck sees you and hmm. blows and runs off. And then that Brad Harris an idiot. That deer come in downwind, and, you know, it wasn't— See, it ain't ever the hunter's fault. It's somebody else's fault. Yeah. You get It's yours. It's your fault, If Brad. you make a cast with a fishing rod, I'm usually— on red alert. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, I'm waiting for that bump. I'm waiting for that bite. You got line in the if water. If you cast out a sound, you've got to stay on red alert. You've got to wait for that bite. That bite, he may walk in four or five, eight minutes later. And by then, you've dropped your guard mm-hmm. and you're doing something else. You're getting your crackers, you're getting your drink, you're getting your chew, whatever. Uh, and you get caught. I've mm-hmm. gotten caught.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I get myself a real good talking to because I know better. Yeah. But I've gotten caught and you will get caught doing Mm -hmm. that. But Lord have mercy. There's a lot of dead deer in my truck because of those, those um, things that I do in the woods and the invitations and the casting that I make with sounds.
0: Yeah, I've got two stories that are kind of pertinent to this, this situation, but I remember uh, I was showing you off Mike a little bit, the deer or the bear that I got this last season and, uh, what tipped me off to the fact that I had a bear coming in because I'd been sitting uh, over the bait since noon and knew they were going to come in that late afternoon but wanted my, my scent to leave or all, all that kind of stuff. And I was looking through the woods with my binoculars the whole time and uh, as right as the sun was starting to go down and so it was casting all those weird shadows where every, you can't really make out what's walking in towards you. And uh, I knew to start looking in the direction that the bear was going to come out of because I heard the squirrels start going crazy. And it was, I think it was the first time I'd made that connection. Oh, there's some, there's something happening over there. And I yeah. wasn't thinking, oh, the squirrels are barking at a bear. But I was thinking there's something going on over there. Sure. And I was bored anyway. I put up the binos and here comes the bear. Absolutely. But then second story, uh, one, the first buck I shot with a bow, poor shot, too far away, all the stuff. And he, he was hit, but he's hit far back. And he, he kind of does the walk off, which is not always great. It's like something's, something's wrong, but it wasn't a lethal shot. And so I pull out my rattling antlers and my buck grunt, trying to do anything to see if I can entice him to turn around or to figure out what hit him. Or I, I couldn't figure out what I was doing early on in my bow hunting career. And so I'm making these aggressive buck uh, grunt calls, and I was hitting the rattling horns and anything to see if I could get his attention to maybe even figure out, did I miss this deer? And he's, is he going to come back? And as soon as I do that and I see him leave, I start putting up my bow and I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna have to get out of the tree and see if I hit him if there's blood and I look maybe 60 yards to my right and there's another buck coming in and he's standing there staring at me big old deer way bigger yeah. than the one I shot at yeah. and then yeah you know, I have to re-pick up the bow and re-pick up the antlers and re-grab everything and I'm trying to get him in and at that point he's watching me and he's standing back there looking at me like what's this idiot doing in the tree mm-hmm. uh, but I, I remember that was the first moment I'm thinking I just called in a different deer mm-hmm. that was already coming to the commotion I was making and I was I was too naive or too right. stupid to not sit there and wait on something else that could have come in, yeah. and I missed the opportunity to well, get see, another that's, buck. That
1: that's that education. I mean, yeah, you and, learn, and learn from valuable, that. but yeah, that'll pay off big time. Down, the I road. hope so. Absolutely, big.
0: time. I have more of those stories than I do good ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you <laughs> got to learn from all of them yeah.
1: because we all have them. We all have the bad. Uh, I've had so many things. That, oh, crap, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. I, Boy, I should have been more alert or I should have done that quicker or whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But it all goes back to the old memory bank and it'll help you down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. The other yeah. thing, analogy with fishing is what is your, your dad? Who taught you how to fish? Your dad? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. 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 My dad taught me how to fish. And, you know, one of the first things he taught me when I hooked the bass was keep the pressure on, keep the line tight. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm, why? You know, he's hooked got hooks in well i realize the bass can throw a lure pretty quick especially mm-hmm. you give them a little slack and so you after you lose a couple bass, you realize whoa dad's telling the truth mm-hmm. keep the pressure on keep the line tight it keeps things coming and i use that same analogy when i'm calling the deer elk turkey when i get them to respond they like what i'm saying i keep the pressure on mm-hmm. that goes against don't call very much don't call very loud don't call I, I understand all the don't call things, but I also understand that if you don't keep the pressure on, it allows them to do things that probably will cost you. Mm-hmm. Turkeys, many times I don't keep the pressure on a gobbler, hen interceptor. If I'd have kept pressure on, kept him coming, not gave him time to strut and wait, strut, maybe I'd have got him and killed him before she got to him. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, elk, same way, you know, bull elk, get him coming, get him coming, but you, you quit calling, he gets a little nervous. He doesn't like what he's, he's not hearing now. Don't know where that bull is. It's challenging him. Gets spooky, walks away. Mm. You wonder, what the heck, you know? Uh, deer do the same thing. They, they get deer for a lot of real here. Guys, well, I don't rattle, and I don't like cockers because the doggone deer always come down wind. You know, most of the time, you allow that to happen because you quit pulling. You quit reeling. Mm. You quit communicating. They get a chance to think and their instincts tell them something not quite right.
0: Circle down. Circle down wind.
1: It'd make my nose. Yeah. Uh, if you give them that time, that instinct will kick in and it'll kick your butt. I like guys, oh, I was rattling and rattling. He was coming and coming. And I, I got my was waiting and he stopped out there. And then next thing you know, he circled down wind. It ain't no, no good to rattle.
0: Mm-hmm. I've never thought about Don't, that. Yeah.
1: You let him. You let him. Mm-hmm. You got defeated. He kicked your butt. That's his natural instinct. But if many times if you keep cranking, keep tickling those horns till the last minute, keep grunting, keep keep tight, keep the line tight, you'll kill more deer. Mm. There's just no doubt you about it. You just
0: let it, it you let him stop and think and Doesn't then think. realize something's up. I don't like this. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it safe. Let their instincts the that their that
1: instincts will tell him smell what I can't see.
2: So at what point um At what point do you, I mean, eventually you got to, you can't move. You can't be so loud. You got to put the call down. You got to, how do you, what's the transition there? When do you go to like, okay, now I need to be stealthy. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I
1: mean, that's, that's something you just got to learn. You just got to watch their body movement. Look at them. I can tell when a buck's hooked. I mean, I can tell when he's, uh, he's going to commit suicide.
2: He's coming in. He's coming
1: It don't matter what I do. Uh, Or when I get him, it may take... Some time, a transition where I've got him coming away, and he pauses and I get him coming, but then there's a point where you're like, he's hooked, he's, mm-hmm. he's coming, yeah. it's over. Yeah, Turkey's saying, well, you know, when a gobbler, oh, he's he's committed. he's committed. Yeah. Bull elk, I mean, it's just, there's a point where you know. And then there's a point where you're going to play cat and mouse. You're going to grab your bow and he's going to lose interest. Mm-hmm. And you're going to put the bow and grab the call and he's going to, and then you're back to, the, that happens. Mm-hmm. And that just, that's just part of hunting. And you just got to read the animal the best you can and make the best decision you can. But the good part about it is that you you are seem like you're always in the game. Right. You're always up there swinging chance. the darn bat yeah. instead of sitting there trying to take a walk. Yeah. You know, it, uh, swing the bat. Swing. You it. know, be aggressive. And uh, it, it isn't for everybody, but I'm going to tell you, there's no doubt in my mind by being controlled – aggressive in other words being controlled thinking all the time but yet lean toward the. there's no doubt in my mind it's by far the most productive way to kill animals there is yeah well, it's uh, a way more fun part. it's way more fun to communicate i'm just yeah. hearing you
0: telling the stories yeah. and i'm thinking this is changing how i'm gonna yeah, <laughs> i realize that. that is yeah. way more fun than just sitting there going i hope this is right yeah, hope, right i hope, I hope, I hope he, he walks comes by, by at 20 yards broadside without me doing anything It's right what are the chances of that yeah we we need we definitely i would.
2: Man, we need to come back during deer season, come back and do like a master class on, on <laughs> use the butt grunt from the inventor of the butt grunt. Truly. Um okay, so take me back. Um to to kind of wrap it up here, the the days when you started you you started mouth calling. You were doing the grunt, pinching your nose, you know, doing something with your mouth. Yeah. At what point did you take it to um, a prototype or making it into a, a physical call? And then how did that take off?
1: Well, uh, I guess I kind of dropped that story. I went to that uh, turkey calling contest in, in Mid-America Open in Kansas City. The guy emceeing the contest was a gentleman by the name of Bill Harper. Bill Harper owned Loman Game Calls mm-hmm. at that time. And Bill was the MC of the contest. I'd never met the man. i would be honest, I'd never heard of Loman Game Calls, even though they been arrested in 1948 um and we're a kansas city company and then moved to Neosho in 1968 and um uh, bill was the mc in the contest i think like i said i think i got second in the turkey calling won the owl hooting he came up to me after the contest i mean i'm getting ready to go to the hotel with my wife and i didn't know very many people there i'm just but he came and looked me up and he said uh, hey i'd like to talk to you it's great and uh, he said, I like the way you call. He said, you're doing some stuff that's just incredible. I said, great. Well, thank you. You know, I appreciate it. He said, uh, whose calls are you using? I said, you yeah, know, like mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <laughs> using somebody else's now. <laughs> yeah. I been using. <laughs> but uh, I didn't really know what he meant. It was kind of strange. He goes, well, he said, no. He said, is it somebody sponsoring you? I said, no. Yeah. I said, sir, I'm said i just a hillbilly from Deloge, Missouri. Come up here to call in this big contest just to have fun and and see what it was all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Know nothing about sponsors or calls. I work for a living.
2: Just a good old boy from Missouri. And he
1: said, well, would you use my calls? And I'm thinking, okay, now how much is this going to cost me? Yeah. You know, and I... Like, I'm not, I don't have a lot of money, and I'm, you know.
2: Strings attached. Yeah, what, yeah, there's something what's to the this.
1: That's hillbillies. We, we know what people are trying to get us, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I, 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 what do you mean? He goes, if I provide you with calls, would you use them to hunt with and mm. call in some contests? I said, you mean give them to me? You're going to give me f- something free? <laughs> he said, yeah, I'll give you all the calls you want if you'll use them. I said, well, yeah. and nobody ever gave me anything. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's what I got to do. I said, because it didn't matter at the time. I didn't care what call I was blowing. It didn't matter to me. They're all calls to me at that time. And he went to his truck and came back with a huge box just loaded with calls of all kinds, duck and goose, and I wasn't a duck and goose hunter, Mm -hmm. but uh, turkey calls of all kinds, slates and boxes and six or eight different mouth calls, and it's like, this isn't for me? For free. Wow. I mean, it was more stuff in there than I'd ever had in my life. Yeah. It was like in packages and yeah. new. Crap, this is good stuff, you know. <laughs> and uh, he proceeded yeah. to show me a few of them and talk about a few yeah. of them and kind of educate me, he gave me some catalogs of his company. And he said, take these and try them out. And he said, I want you to let me know what you think. And he said, I really want your honest opinion. I said, "That's all I know. I'll tell you exactly what I think. But I said, I'm I'm just a country boy. I don't know that I know. But I said, I'll use them and see what. So I did. The turkey season's rolling around. I used his calls. He had some really good mouth calls. I mean, I was used to using a lid washer and a condom, okay? These were pretty cool. These were actually manufactured mouth calls. Wow. And his slate calls were good. But he pulled out his box call, and it was awful. Just abs. I wouldn't have carried that thing in the woods for nothing. (laughs) It didn't sound like it. it was all yawky sounding. No, no. And so I hunted with his stuff. I called in a couple of contests with his mouth calls and won some contests. And I'd call him up every once in a while and say, Well, I won this contest. And I, I, uh, turkey season came along. I killed turkeys with this call and that call. I said, But the box call sucks. I said, It's bad. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't sell it, I couldn't promote it. It's just awful. And he said, what, what do you think? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm not a call builder. Throw it away. But it's bad. <laughs> and you're selling that to hunters, and I'd be ashamed of that. And he instead of getting mad at me. He was tickled to death. Next thing you know, he, he's got me, pays my way to drive to Neosha, five-hour drive. I still live in Deloge and paid my way down, bought my meals, uh, got me a hotel room. It's like, wow, this is pretty cool. He said, "I want you to do a cassette tape. I want you to teach people how you alhoot." I said, "All right." And I he had, went to some studio. I did this cassette tape, and it's funnier than heck. When I listened to it today. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's hilarious. But it did it did teach a lot of folks how to alhoot and build some confidence. And then we went to work on a on a call and the box call, and we just dev- designed this this particular call, a okay. dual chambered call.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, back in the late 70s, early eighties. And uh, just went from there. But he, we were building that call, and he stopped for lunch one day. We're talking. He goes, you deer hunt, don't you? I said, yes, sir. That's my favorite. I said, I turkey hunt for fun. I deer hunt for serious. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, well, what call do you use? I said, uh, well, I grunt. He goes, what do you mean you grunt? I said, I grunt. I said, "It's the first guy I ever told out of our circle that <laughs> yeah. I grunted. yeah. And he goes, I've never heard that. And I said, well, it's deadly. He said, well, we sell a snort and a bleat. And I said, yeah. we Usually, us hunters around home, we run from people has got a snort or a bleat call. We don't get around them. <laughs> but I said, we grunt, and, and it's deadly. And so I pinched my nose, showed him, told him what I knew about it, why it worked, how it was working for me. And that afternoon, we were in the shop with— all these duck call parts barrels and chambers and reeds he said can you make this can you duplicate that sound and i said i can try and we went through all these parts and i would put them together no nope, put them together no nope, no nope. you know a couple hours into it i hit a call a bit it made the sound i'm looking for i said that's close yeah very close it's a duck call Basically. It was oh, really? a, It was a, a duck call part. With like
2: a loose, loose yeah, Just a very thin vibrate.
1: reed, a very long reed, which will allow that reed to lift slowly and vibrate slowly. Okay. And duck call reeds were much were shorter, stiffer, mm-hmm. get the high end, get that. But that deer, we figured out, deer had to be much longer, much thinner, 7.5 thousandths mylar, which you couldn't use for a duck call and mm-hmm. blow it out. Mm-hmm. You know, 10,000 is probably the smallest you could use on a, a duck call, and most of them are even you know 14, 15,000 reeds in most duck calls. So it took an extra long chamber and an extra long reed that was very thin, and, and and man, all of a sudden we could hear that fluttering sound I was looking for. I said, "That's that's close." Mm-hmm. So I used that call. We uh, we used it without a tube for a while, then we ended up putting a tube on it and. I found the tube gave it some volume and some range. Right. And uh didn't matter the deer. They liked whether he had a tube on it or didn't have a tube on it. They could hear it. They liked it. Uh, but that, that's how it started. He was already in the business. He owned the company, and he had enough insight. Instead of um, going, ah, he had enough confidence in me, and he had enough insight to say, wow, deer market's way bigger than the turkey market. Mm-hmm. He had yeah. all these hundreds of calls for turkey. He only had two for deer, and one of them was suspect. Mm-hmm. And but he had enough vision to say well, this could be big. I didn't have enough vision, yeah. nor did he have enough vision to say we need to patent this. Right, we need to trademark the name. We didn't. Yeah, we just. I was happy to give it to him. He was giving me free stuff. He yeah. was taking, matter <laughs> of fact, he was gonna take me on hunts, and I was guiding Johnny Morris Senior from Bass Pro and Johnny Morris mm-hmm. Junior. I was guiding people like that and getting paid to do it. It's like, yeah. whoa! Like, yeah, what like, take I that call. You know, <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, mm. I had no idea what the industry was. I didn't have any idea how big the market was. Uh, we, I gave it away. Yeah, uh, but that's okay. It's helped a lot of people kill a lot of deer. Yeah, uh, and I'm happy. I'm mm. happy for them, and especially the guys that really dive into it and use it as a tool it was designed to be used for mm-hmm. and not as a crutch right. for poor hunting ability. Right,
0: you yeah, because uh, they suck at hunting. Yeah, they suck at hunting. <laughs> yeah. And
1: they read too many articles. Yeah. But I like the guy that is innovative and works at it and uses it as a tool and, the right, and he's killing deer. And he wouldn't go in the woods without it. He just wouldn't. You know, And uh, know a lot of guys are like that.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so cool. Just to think literally how many <coughs> millions of hunters. <laughs> Lots. Have have used your call to kill deer, see deer, bring them in close, whatever they're doing. Yeah, and it and it came from from you, John and Jim. Yep, just yeah. talking
1: back in the day,
2: shooting the breeze,
1: shooting the breeze, having fun, eating their lunch, killing time. You know, and nothing more boring than driving a big truck or working in a dirty old mill or crusher. So that that break time, lunch time, when we could live our outdoor uh, weekend. Plans and past the hunts. That was that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome.
0: Man. You, you have the original or close to the original prototype anywhere around? here? I do.
1: Uh, I've got some of the uh, probably not the original original, but some very close to it. Are yeah, they pretty wacky really, looking? Like parts they they are to shoved the, together. <laughs> they are a duck the a wooden duck barrel. And i thought about I'd have tried to dig them up, but the original was a wooden uh, duck barrel. Mm-hmm. Was the bottom? It had a white. Uh, a clear plastic cap over it with the reed extended through that plastic cap. That was the original call.
0: Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I'd love to see that someday. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll
1: dig it out. I know I've got one or two of the old first runs mm-hmm. probably, but not the original call. Yeah. I wish I had the original call, yeah. but um, I don't. It, uh, it doesn't matter. Like I said, it, you know, I uh, missed the boat, not trademarking it or patenting it yeah. or whatever, whatever. Didn't know any better, but, but yeah. you but you have the story now. No, Case one, ara, no you know? one can take that from and I've it. killed a lot of deer using it and that just you can't put a price tag on mm-hmm.
2: that. Yeah. You know? So then so Loman, they 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 took it, they made it, and then at some point you started seeing it blow up and people oh, are using yeah. it everywhere. Uh,
1: it's interesting, it took a little time because um actually that uh, that the following year I Bill asked me to come to work full time. Mm-hmm. I moved my family from Deloge down to Neosho, I think, I believe I was making $7.25 an hour oh, yeah. to move my family that far, but I was going to get to work in the hunting industry. Right. Um, he was already having me do seminars and in-store promotions. I would go mm. to local Walmart, set a table up and do turkey demos. <laughs> and, and, uh, go to different shows and set up and do, and this is like living a dream because when I was a young man, I I always told my mom and dad I wanted to play pro baseball or I wanted to be a professional hunter. Mm -hmm. Well, they knew neither one was probably in the cards by any means. I mean, I was really good at baseball, but I couldn't hit, run, or throw. But uh, (laughs) other than that, I was really good. But um, there was an old show called American Sportsman on at that time that came on Sunday afternoons. I watched it every Sunday afternoon and I wanted to be one of these guys, you know, Bing Crosby hunting pheasant, and like, man, I get to go hunting on TV in western states, and I want to do that, but, you know, um, like I said, good Lord knew I probably wasn't a a baseball candidate, even though I played baseball a lot, and, uh, um, but he also gave me the ability to, to mimic animals. It Mm. gave me a unique ability. I can't sing a note. Mm. My wife tells me to calm down during church because I'm singing too loud, (laughs) and it's awful.
2: Um,
1: uh, So I'm not a singer. I cannot play any musical instrument. Uh, I was one of the kids in sixth grade. The teacher said, don't go out for band. You're awful. (laughs) They just told you. Yeah, but I can make about any animal sound. I can mimic animals, and I can mimic them Pretty well. I was just blessed with that. Mm -hmm. Couldn't do nothing else. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. (laughs) But fortunately, that's because I love to hunt so much, it it just fell right in place. It Mm -hmm. was like a gift, uh, no doubt a gift. But um, yeah, the the call itself, we introduced, brought it to the biggest show in the hunting industry, the Shot Show. Took it to the Shot Show, I believe it was 1983, I'm thinking. Mm Uh, mixed reviews from the buyers. Sure. They've never heard of it. Yeah, here we come to the shot show with a grunt deer call. Yeah, nobody ever.
2: Got to be skeptical. Nobody
1: ever heard. Right. All these big time deer hunters, which I didn't know many of them back then, met Fred Bear. Fred Bear, I visited no with him three or four years in a row. We we have great conversations. Fred Bear never heard a deer. I've never heard the term grunt. No, way. I taught Fred Bear to grunt. I don't know that he ever believed me, but I taught Fred <laughs> Bear, and he so never died. heard of a grunt call. Oh my gosh! Now, there's his hat over there with his the signature. I got pictures over the wall with me and him.
2: That is so. He's
1: cool. a great hunter. He hunted everything, and he never heard Never of heard grunt. of a grunt. Nobody had heard. Yeah, um, it was interesting. But that was skepticism. Buyers like, I don't want to put these on the shelf at Bass Pro or Cabela's or Gander Mountain or what? Because nobody knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was hard sell. Yeah. It really was. I went to, I did a seminar at the Missouri uh, bow hunters. I was a kid. I mean, this is 82 or whatever, 83.
2: 20. Are you in your 20s, 30s? Yeah.
1: I'm I'm probably, well, I graduated high school in 75. So I was 18, 20. 22, 23 years old, I'm up on stage giving a deer hunting seminar to the Missouri bow hunters in the early 80s. And probably 250 bow hunters in that audience. Big crowd. I was scared to death. Yeah, that is big. I'm just a kid, you know. Uh, I got up there and did my thing. I talked about scent control, tree stand placement, scouting, stuff that I knew, stuff my dad taught me, grandpa taught me I was... You know, sharing, I wasn't come I wasn't making nothing up. This is stuff that I had been taught. And I get towards the end of the seminar, I said, now guys, I just want to share with you one thing that is new. You've never heard of it before. But I'm gonna tell you right now, I think it's gonna be the greatest thing since sliced bread to kill bucks, and that's grunting to bucks. You could heard a pin drop. I pinch my nose. Made the sound, and there was 250 people in the audience. 200 of them were on the floor laughing. Oh man! <laughs> I kid you not? Scared me to death. I mean, it's like I was embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going. I did, and I'm like, didn't know what to do from there. They're laughing at me, and it's like I don't know what to do. I <laughs> panicked. It's like I'm. I'm not kidding, guys. I swear. I'm telling you the truth. I'm just. I swear. When it was over, I had grown men, adult men. Now, after the laugh, I got mad. Yeah. And that wasn't a good thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, back in those days, but I got mad because that's like I'm not lying to you. Why would you make fun of me when I'm this is as serious as I can get, and this is my passion? Mm-hmm. And I had grown men come up to me and said, "Sonny, I've been hunting forty. I've been bow hunting deer forty years. I ain't never heard a deer make that sound. You're crazy telling." I had guys come tell me that. I was like, sir, I'm sorry. I I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. But I've had bucks walk into me, and I've, I've killed that. them wow. because of that. They didn't believe it. Well, it took a couple of years. It took night and hail to jump on board and build a call. It took Haydell's hmm. to jump on board and build a call. And it took a couple of years of guys saying, I'm going to try that. And enough of them had success that all of a sudden it gave the grunt some validity wow, Mm. and you know and it took help from our competitors to make that happen yeah it really did yeah i guess that's true yeah and then of course they all said they invented it and i go to them i said no they won't tell they don't say that in front of me yeah but they might say it in a seminar but when i when i talk to them it's like you didn't know what deer even made a sound until we showed you (laughs) and told you and you're right you know that's uh and, and that part, I, I don't, but I did invent the grunt deer call. I mm. did give it to the hunting industry. No one even knew what it was saying. It took a year or two for other people to jump on board. Uh, a guy by the name of Larry, Dr. Larry Richardson, a year later came to me and he said, I've got acoustics. Uh, he called it acoustics of the white-tailed deer. He worked for some university in Texas, one of the big ones, and they were doing deer surveys, I've got that sound on tape. Full year later yeah, that he discussed. He was the first guy that I knew that actually substantiated that, yes, deer, make mm. that sound. Wow. So and from then on, it just ballooned. It's yeah. Now everybody's done it. Everybody's invented it. Oh, yeah. Oh, old, old. but still to this day, half of them don't know how to use it. Yeah. They just don't know how to use it. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. That's Crazy. amazing. What a
2: story, man. That's just insane. To to think about how big it is now. I mean, I can't name a deer hunter who doesn't have one <laughs> in, <laughs> in their bag. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to think that there was a point in time not that long ago that, not that long ago. people laughed you off stage. They
1: laughed me. <laughs> man, more than once that happened. That was the worst yeah. by far. Yeah. And that was the most embarrassed I'd ever been mm-hmm. at a seminar. And that was probably the maddest I've ever been in the in the hunting industry, yeah, once it was over, it's like, but now I understand. I mean, there is a lot of windy people out there. Mm-hmm. there is a lot of misinformation. There is a lot of heroes that are out there giving advice right. Most of them don't know crap mm. they I'm sorry, but yeah. that, you know, but in in that era, I didn't know a lot of blowhards. They were solid hunters, told you what they. New and it was verbatim. Yeah. It isn't that way today. Mm-hmm. I mean, people do anything for a sell. Sure. There's no doubt about it. And it's sad, but that happens. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, there is no magic. There's no magic in anything out there. And you can, I mean, I can go on and on about scent, and scent uh, free stuff. And I mean, I make the scent free companies mad because I tell the truth. Yeah. There's a reason use that stuff. There's a reason why it works and why it doesn't work. And you got to use common sense to make it work for you, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but, you know, to this day, it's like, forget the wind, just hunt, you know. Uh, oh, don't call, especially if they're looking at you. I mean, it's just stupid stuff. But this has okay. some validity, but they're not telling the whole story. Run. yeah. Not telling the whole story.
0: They don't yeah. care if you kill a deer. They just
2: want you to buy That's their right. stuff. That's right, they want you they, to yeah. buy something. That's a great point. Yeah. just trying to sell it. That's crazy. Well... Brad, I think that's a great place to end. What a story what, yeah. the, to think about the impact that that has had on, on millions of people and, and hunters probably across the world. I mean, it's just crazy to think that it is. And it's cool even to think that it started right here in the Ozarks. In the Ozarks. Yep. I had never even knew that. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. In a place where nobody ever heard deer make anything but a snort. That's awesome. <laughs>
2: crazy. Well, Brad, thank you so much for, for having us up here and, and for telling us that story it's great to meet you. We definitely want to have you back on sometime closer to deer season and go through a master class on, on how to use the butt grinder and just cover so many, I can think of so many topics that we could cover with you. Absolutely.
1: Anytime. So Anytime. As long, long, long as <laughs> I'm not hunting, we're okay.
2: That's right. Yeah. We'll, we'll plan get around a, your schedule. it's yeah. early season or off. Say, season.
1: Maybe
0: we do it summer. Yeah. yeah Late summer. Yeah. Right. We can always record
1: it. Yeah. For sure. There, there you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Elk, cool. elk starts about the mid of September. Oh, that's fair. It, it goes, uh, goes crazy from there. Gotcha.
2: Very good. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having us. And uh, to our listeners, if you guys enjoyed this episode, let us know. Uh, make sure you're following the podcast and um, leave a rating review. And uh, we'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V, co-hosted by Adam Treese and Kyle Plunkett, and produced by Daniel Matthews. To sponsor an episode or for general advertising inquiries, reach out to us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.